Morning, everybody. Hey, you know what? If uh, if Pastor Rich wrote us a letter and made us a video, uh, I'm guessing he's watching the live stream right now. So why don't we all say hi to the camera back there? Hi, Pastor Rich. Get back soon. We love you. Least we could do, right? It's good to be up here uh, with you on a Sunday morning. Psalm 118.24 tells us, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And rejoicing is what I want to talk to you about today. What does it mean to rejoice? Webster's Dictionary says that it means to feel joy or great delight. Well, Dictionary.com says to be full of joy. And I actually like the second definition better because it gets more specific to what I want to talk about for our purposes today. We can certainly rejoice inwardly, correct? by ourselves, but I think more often than not when we hear in the Bible about rejoicing, people are outwardly expressing their joy. They're sharing it with other people. Um, They can't hold it in. It's overflowing. So joy, which is what causes us to rejoice, joy is rejoicing, kind of the same related things. Joy is different from happiness, isn't it? Happiness depends on what is going on in our lives outwardly. While we can have an inner joy, even in times of of distress, even in times of trouble, when things are all going wrong, we can have joy because of our relationship with Jesus. Um, Happiness comes and goes, but joy is deeper, and and we can always have that there with with the Lord. So I'm going to do a little demonstration now, and I want you all to be honest when you raise your hands, okay? Just because you know where I'm going with this doesn't mean that you should lie, all right? I'm going to put up some slides. You raise your hand if this causes you to rejoice. A newborn baby being born. I should hope so. I'm having one soon. All right. A baby throwing up on you after keeping you up all night. That's, I saw this picture and I said, oh, that's in my near future right there. Petting an adorable puppy. If you're not a dog person, that's okay, but you know what we mean. An adorable raccoon dumping your trash all over the lawn. Getting a bonus at work. Seeing the taxes taken out of your bonus. Spring flowers blooming all around. It's going on everywhere right now. I see a lot of it out in my yard. Things I didn't plant, things the people who were there before me planted. It's really cool. It's all a surprise all the time. How about the 800 approximate days of rain that made those flowers bloom (laughs) that we've been dealing with lately? Or the lawn, which is now two feet tall because it rains every day (laughs) and and we can't mow it. Justin might might love mowing the lawn. I, I don't know. He hasn't had a chance to lately, right? So... That's purely a hypothetical situation. That's not something going on at my house right now. It seems like all of us being honest, about 50-50 of those things made us rejoice, right? Some things are good, some things are bad. And, uh, you know, it's easier to rejoice when everything's going well, isn't it? Those are events that I handpicked just for this exercise. The events of a a regular day might be even more skewed. You know, you have a good day. Maybe I spend 75% of the day rejoicing. If I have a bad day, maybe it's less than 10%. But 
if rejoicing isn't dependent upon what's going on in my life outwardly, then why am I not rejoicing all the time? And that's what I want to look at today. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, where Paul tells us all about rejoicing. You can all turn there. If you were here a few weeks ago, the last time I was up here, I was also in Philippians chapter 4. And we were looking at contentment and how in verses 10 through 13 of this chapter, Paul explains that he's learned the secret to being content. You can go back and watch that if you missed it, but I'll give you away the ending. The secret is our relationship with Jesus. That's the secret to being content. That's the one-sentence version of my last message. We also talked about what discontent will do to us. You know, we talked about the Israelites complaining against God because they didn't like God's meal plan for them in the desert. And uh, we talked about King Ahab and his wife Jezebel uh, having a man killed to get a vineyard because Ahab wasn't happy with his vegetable garden area. He wanted a new place to grow his cucumbers. So when I found out that I was going to teach today a couple weeks ago, I went home and I laid on my bed like Ahab and kicked my feet and I said, but I just taught a lesson. (laughs) No, I didn't really. It's a privilege to be up here sharing God's word with you um, and to be teaching. And it's something that God is is calling me to do, you know, whenever need be. So it's for my benefit and yours that I come up here and share. But it's a great responsibility to deliver a truthful message from God's Word, and it's a challenge to choose the right subject. That could be the hardest part. If anything, I was slightly concerned about that. I didn't know what I was going to teach about. But God gave me something. You know, uh, He always does. He's always faithful. I don't know why I worry about anything, about what I'm going to teach, because God always gives me a lesson. So, it's right, it kind of goes right hand in hand with what I was talking about last week. Be content. Also, rejoice. And if I, whoop, if I was to make my guess, I would have said that be content would come first chronologically in this chapter, and then, on top of that, rejoice. Because it seems like the, that one comes before the other, but it actually is the reverse. I mean, I would have written it as... Philippians episode 2, Rejoicing Strikes Back. But it's actually a a prequel to to being content, is rejoicing. It comes beforehand. So, Philippians 4, verse uh, verse 4. Let's start right there. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Two things I noticed about this right off the bat. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. There we go. So we all blew that test about the puppies and the raccoons. We're supposed to rejoice about the raccoons, everybody. You know? (laughs) God knows it's, it's a challenge, but we'll work on it. The second thing that I noticed is that Paul says it twice. That tells me it's important. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice with an exclamation point. Must be important if he said it twice. That's why when Mike asked me what to title the YouTube video of this sermon, I said, Rejoice. Worth saying it twice. That's what I told him. Because it is. It's worth saying it twice to Paul. So we should take special note of it. And it's a command. Now, Charles Spurgeon said about this command, 
What a gracious God we serve, who makes delight to be a duty, and who commands us to rejoice. Should we not at once be obedient to such a command as this? I think that we certainly should be obedient to a command like this, and any command that God gives us. And I think we would all like to, wouldn't we? Wouldn't life be better if we went about rejoicing all the time? This isn't the first time that God commanded rejoicing either. In Leviticus 23, talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, in verse 40, God says, On the first day you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. That's a God-commanded seven-day celebration. you got to do it. you got to have a party. Seems like a pretty good command to me. God commanded them to rejoice. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 7, God says, There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. Again, that sounds like a command. You shall rejoice. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of thing, evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus told them to rejoice in a bad situation where people were persecuting them and saying evil things about them. But it's not easy, is it? Always? Back in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is going to outline a plan for how we can rejoice all the time. And we'll find solutions to some of the obstacles we face as we try to follow this command. Verse 5 tells us, Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. First, the gentleness. This is translated from the Greek word, epiikeia, <laughs> which I have a hard time pronouncing, so I wrote it out here. Epiikeia. And I might have got that wrong still. But <laughs> epiikia is a word that means mildness, patience, moderation, and unwillingness to contend or litigate. David Guzik says, This word describes the heart of a person who will let the Lord fight his battles. They know that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It describes a person who is really free to let go of his anxieties and all the things that cause him stress because he knows that the Lord will take up his cause. So being gentle, the word that we see in our Bible, is certainly part of it, being gentle. But it's more than that. And it's not that we have to be weak pushovers. In just the letters of Paul, there are ten commands to stand firm. So God's not telling us when we're gentle that we need to be pushovers. But we are supposed to be careful about how we interact with other people. We don't want to be people who are quick to get in a fight with people around us. I work in a department at, at the bank that I work at, with a group of people who, for the most part, get along pretty well and exercise this kind of gentleness when talking to each other. I work next to a group of people who do not. <laughs> and at times, I feel like I need to put on some kind of uh, lotion to shield me from the stress radiation coming off of these people because they're always arguing. They're not very gentle. And hiding under my desk isn't an option. It makes a big difference in how we interact with other people if we are treating them with epiikia. As followers of Jesus and witnesses for him, we should be the kind of people who will just let it go when someone rudely cuts in front of us at the grocery store. 
just let it go. They must have needed to get where they were going faster than me. I just try to say to myself, well, maybe their wife is in labor right now and they needed to grab those Doritos before they headed to the hospital. I don't know what they're going through. They might be having a party in the delivery room. <laughs> if that's what the new mom wants, that's fine. If you want that, honey, that's fine. <laughs> Gentleness is evident in how we talk to one another if we're using, doing it. How about how we talk to our spouse and our kids? Whoa there, guest speaker guy. That just got real personal real fast, didn't it? I know, because I was convicted while preparing this lesson of this very thing. Am I always gentle when I talk to my wife and my kids? No. But if we don't attempt to correct our lack of gentleness, it will most certainly get in the way of our ability to rejoice. Show of hands again, who here feels like rejoicing when they just got done blasting their horn at someone on the highway who just zipped in front of us, then zipped back, then zipped again? Anybody feel like rejoicing after they scream in their car and lay on that horn? Those things will stress us out, but we've got to learn to let them go. I'm going to go back to the well for another Spurgeon quote here. Incidentally, every time I teach a lesson, I am tempted to make my lesson one long public reading of Spurgeon quotes. <laughs> he can say it so much better than me. But I try to limit myself. As a result, in my last lesson, I didn't do any. So now I, can think, I think I can use a couple today. This one here. As a cure for disagreements, the apostle says, rejoice in the Lord always. People who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. Joy in the Lord is a cure for all discord. Being gentle will help us to avoid discord, which will help us to have more joy in the Lord. And repeat, it goes in a circle. If we have joy in the Lord, we won't have discord. If we don't have discord, we'll have joy in the Lord. It goes round and round. It just gets better each time around. Now on to the second part of verse 5. The Lord is near. If we are mindful of the fact that Jesus is returning for us soon... And we don't know when, but we need to be ready for it. It could be tomorrow. If we keep in mind that Jesus is coming soon, won't it help us to rejoice? Do we have joy in the thought of soon being taken up to heaven to dwell with him for all eternity and to see him face to face? Do we take joy in that? Do we remember that in our daily lives? Or do we remember that we only have so much time to be a witness to the people around us before that happens? So much time to, to show them God's love, that gentleness. In 2 Corinthians, Paul calls even the worst things we could face on earth light and momentary troubles that are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. This should cause us to rejoice and to show gentleness to other people because we know our troubles will soon be replaced by eternal joy. And we don't, have, we don't know how long we have, but it, Jesus is coming soon. So let them cut you in line. And remember that in heaven there are no checkout lines. On to verse 6. This is the big one for me in this section. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now I realized when I read this verse that there's a lot to cover just in this verse. 
So we're going to do something new. And at 12 o'clock, we're going to have a brief intermission. <laughs> five minutes. Then we're going to get back at it, and we'll finish up around 1.30ish. Okay? <laughs> Try and be brief. <laughs> I reserve the right to come back to this lesson again to be even more thorough. Let's start with the first part. Do not be anxious about anything. Now there's a command. In a way, this is what caused me to choose these verses for today. I, I wasn't experiencing a medical anxiety, mind you, but, and it wasn't a crushing, big concern that I had of, of worry, but it was a bunch of little things that were adding up little by little and making me more and more worried and more and more anxious about how I was going to get all these things done. And I saw that it was causing me to be kind of a grump to my family and, and uh, around my house. And you guys probably will never see me that way, I hope. You know, uh, it's not that I'm like putting on a show for you here at church. It's that I really let everything go when I come in here. And this room is very aptly called a sanctuary. It, it is, that's what it is for me. So I, I let those cares go when I come here, and that's why you don't see that side of me where I'm anxious and grumpy about these things that I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, but I realized that it was just stealing all my joy, you know, and I was not showing that gentleness that I needed to to my family because I was uh, thinking too much about all these things. I went through a stretch of time where there just didn't seem to be enough hours in the day or enough days in the week to get everything done that I needed to do. Little things like mowing the lawn, grocery shopping. I bought this cabinet on Craigslist that smells funny and I have to strip it and we like it too much to throw it out. You know, like I can fix it, it's, it's, but it's, I, every time I look at it, I think I gotta do that. We, then we got a leak in our ceiling. Then this wall next to my house started falling over. <laughs> then we're out of milk again and I just went to the store yesterday to get ketchup. And did I even file my state taxes yet? <laughs> I did. Late. <laughs> Get the idea. Little things. Little things just added up on me. That tipped over wall, I mean that wall was a picture I found on the internet. My wall is actually tipped over. Dirt slid everywhere, you know, but it's not a big wall. And it's a pretty good representation of me collapsing under the weight of all these little things, little grains of dirt that tipped me over. I had them all running through my mind all the time. The last time I taught, I told you that the Israelites complained so much that Moses said to God in Numbers eleven fifteen, If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now, if I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. And in a lesson I taught last year, I talked about Elijah when he fled from Ahab and Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. He said, it says, He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Now, just to be clear, I did not ask God to kill me when I was stressed out. I didn't get to the point of saying, Lord, if I have to go back to Aldi one more time today, you might as well just kill me. Just take my life. If I have found favor in your eyes, just don't make me go back for the eggs. <laughs> but I also did not have 600,000 people complaining about me and talking about stoning me. I didn't have a crazy king and queen putting out an order to have me killed on sight. 
I got pretty ornery, though. I didn't ask to be killed, but I got pretty ornery. And uh, I'm not proud of that. It was stealing my joy. So don't be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, God tells us. When Jesus told the parable of the soils, he explained to his disciples in Matthew 13, 22. Whoa, did I just... Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? He also said in the parable of the soils, I think I messed that up there and I'm sorry. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Now I wasn't chasing after wealth, but I was certainly letting the worries of life put me in a headlock mentally. I was getting choked out. My brain was scrambled with a million little things, and I'm sorry to say that it kept me from rejoicing and showing that gentleness to my family. It happened very gradually. I didn't wake up, just wake up one day like that. But little by little, it got worse and worse until I said to myself, what is my problem anyway? I had to like, take a look at myself and say, what is, what is getting at me? Because I couldn't even put my finger on it at first. And then I realized I was just going about doing all the things I had to do with the wrong attitude. Justin talked about that a couple weeks ago, where you, know, you can do everything you're supposed to do, but do it with a bad attitude. And that's not very honoring to anybody or to God. So once I realized that I was doing this, that I was just stressing out about a whole bunch of stuff and, uh, and doing everything with a, a frown on my face, I realized that I just had to go to God and, and, and ask him to forgive me and say, can, can, please just help me just lay all this stuff down. I know you don't want me to stress out about this stuff. And he did. Always faithful. Always. And the next thing you know, after I did that, my next door neighbor comes over to me one day when I pull in from work and he says, hey, did you notice the wall falling down here? And I'm like, oh man, he's going to get on my case about this thing and I'm, because it's falling over towards his yard and, and he's going to... No, he wanted to help me fix it. That's what it was. He says, I've got a truck. I'll get the cinder blocks. I'll get the gravel. I'll get everything. You, just, you and the boys just help me a couple weekends and we'll, uh, we'll get that wall back up in no time. I got all the tools. I got everything we need. Thank you. What a relief. I don't know what I'm doing with that stuff. And you all can, all of you homeowners can save your welcome to homeownership statement there, by the way. <laughs> I've heard that enough times. <laughs> so God doesn't want us to worry about little things or big things. He wants us to remember that he's in control. He wants us to, in Matthew 6, and 34, he tells us, Seek, his kingdom, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is pretty clear on this. Don't worry. Worry is the opposite of trusting him. And our trust is something God is completely worthy of. Has God ever failed us? No. So we, can, we should give him that trust and stop worrying. He can handle all those little things that I'm worried about. Back to what we were talking about in Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's what he wants me to do, to pray to him about those things and let him carry that load. I just need to go to him when I feel myself feeling stressed out about the next thing that goes wrong or that I have to do. I need to remember, by prayer and petition, to ask God 
to help me not to be anxious, but to trust him. Otherwise, when our little baby comes and I still have to do all these things and I have a baby, I'm going to lose my mind. He's preparing me. When I think about how much God loves me and how he's always been there for me, it causes me to rejoice and it causes me to, to lay down those things that I'm worried about. Because how can, I, how can I sit here and be anxious about all these little things when I think about God's love and his mercy and his grace towards me? It caused Paul and Silas to rejoice even when they were locked in chains in prison in Acts chapter 16. I'll just read it. <laughs> Sorry, I put the slides together last minute. Didn't have a chance to check them. Even after being severely flogged with their feet fastened in stocks, the two of them were up at midnight praying and singing hymns. And Paul wrote this joyful letter to the Philippians while he was imprisoned in Rome. One verse that always stops me in my tracks, there it is, to think, thank God for his love is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you have a verse like that? A verse that just makes you stop right there and say, thank you. Thank you, God. And just get blown away by his love and grace and mercy towards you. Because that's what that one does for me. And I know that's a very popular verse. Maybe it's John 3.16 for you. Maybe it's Psalm 23. But to have those verses at the ready that you can think about and just remember how much God loves you and what he's done for you. That'll help us to rejoice. That's, that's what we need to make us thankful, eternally thankful. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be thankful people. Being thankful helps us to rejoice. Rejoicing helps us to be thankful. Rejoicing helps us to be gentle. Being gentle helps us to rejoice. It all works together. Now we get to the last verse in Philippians that I want to speak to you about today. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the payoff for what we've been talking about. As if rejoicing all the time wasn't good enough, this is what we also get out of it. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the result of rejoicing. That's the result of being gentle and thankful and taking our requests to God is that we'll have the peace of God. It's beyond anything that we can fathom in our earthly minds, our, our human brains, but it's peace that comes from God. We'll have that if we do these things, the things that Paul has told us to. And let's go over those. Number one, we need to let our gentleness, our epiakia, or, uh, you know, Greek word there for uh, being reluctant to fight, gentle with other people, careful about how we handle those interactions. We want to let that be evident to everyone. We need to remember that Jesus is near. He's returning soon. We shouldn't be anxious about anything since God is in control. We should give thanks for all God has done for us. We should pray for God's help in everything, big and small things. If we do these things, which really will affect all the other things too, then we'll rejoice. And if we rejoice, then we'll have peace with God that transcends understanding. Our 
like I said, our human minds can't even figure out why we have this peace in the midst of all these storms of life. But that's what God promises to us. In the middle of the most difficult and painful things that life can throw at us, we can have peace, the peace of God. God is always at peace. God isn't surprised by anything. He's the source of all our peace, both here, now, and for eternity. Not only will we have peace, but it will guard our hearts and minds. Those are the parts of us that the enemy would seek to attack, our hearts and our minds. But this peace of God will guard us like a fortress. That reminds me of what David said in Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. When we have this peace of God, it's like we're inside a fortress of his, of his peace and his love for us. Is it always easy to get to the point where we feel secure in God's peace? No. But if we follow Paul's instructions on a daily basis, we will receive that blessing, which will cause us to be thankful, which will keep us from being anxious, which will cause us to rejoice all over again. What do we do when we get out of sync? When we find ourselves like I was, stressing out and being grumpy all the time, we just need to recognize that we're coming up short and we need to ask God to help us to get back to where we need to be. To be thankful, to be rejoicing, to be mindful that he's coming soon. Ask him to forgive us and ask him to help us to rejoice again. God has commanded that we rejoice. Like Spurgeon said, should we not at once be obedient to such a command as this? Let's leave here today and go out to be people marked by how we rejoice in our Lord. If there's anyone here who hasn't asked Jesus to be their Savior, though, or anyone watching later, I want to tell you that all of this is impossible apart from that. If you've not done this, you do not have a reason to rejoice because you're still lost in your sins. You might be able to do some of the things we've talked about today, perhaps, to be gentle to others for a day or two, to stop worrying for a while, but you will not be able to rejoice in the Lord simply because you're not in the Lord. You don't need to stay outside of His grace and mercy. If you want to know what rejoicing in the Lord is like firsthand, if you want the peace of God that transcends all understanding, all you need to do is pray for Jesus to be your Savior and put your trust in His finished work on the cross. Then you can receive eternal life, and all that we talked about today will be available to you as well, as a child of God. So let's pray together. Lord, I confess that I have fallen short of your commands to rejoice in you always. I have at times lacked gentleness. I have worried about things I didn't need to. I failed to give you the thanks that you more than deserve. I have forgotten that you are coming soon, and even failed to ask for the help that you are waiting to give me. Help all of us to rejoice in you so that we are a people defined by our joy, shining in the middle of all the darkness in this world. Help us to be obedient to the command you have given, a command like all of your commands intended for our good. I pray, Lord, for any here or listening later that do not know you as their Savior, that they would come to you now. If that is you, just pray with me. Lord, I know that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe that you, Lord Jesus, are the Son of God and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins and give me eternal life. Please be my Savior. I put my trust in you and give my life to you. 
I want to follow you and experience the joy that you have in store for me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.